0: same you just mentioned and the uh, standard setting agenda priorities and you put the four and uh, different topics okay and it seems the number one is the human capital if we relate to the ESG the s for the social and the climate and uh, probably we can relate it to the to the e and uh, how about the uh, other two and uh, the internationalizing and the uh, emerging issue and the market input, how we can tie to the governments. So if you want to use this PowerPoint and the tie to the ESG. Also, the key for each company is the government's body. So how we can tell the government's body this is very important and the, what kind of decision they need to make for the company strategy. Okay, Sam, please
1: that's a great question um i i would definitely agree that it's you know that's that's more or less how they break down i I do think it's a little bit more maybe it's a little more complicated than that because you would think about you know human capital issues yes human capital issues have a strong social dimension that also could have a governance dimension in terms of you know how employees are managed or or how the company responds to you know litigation or something from employees um, that kind of thing, um, you know, reliance on an alternative workforce is, is something that uh, we see in a lot of tech companies. That's a really big issue, you know, kind of across the board. So I don't know. I think that your your designation is... Definitely correct. I think that some of the lines are, you know, it's a little bit blurry, the lines between them. And, you know, especially when you think about internationalization, for example, uh, you know, I think that can have dimensions along all, you know, along all of those lines. Uh, For example, one thing that we see is um, there's there's different standards for sort of toxic and declarable substances in different markets. For example, in the US and Europe and and, and in APAC, there's different sort of sets of regulations for how uh, companies, you know, for, for how to sort of account for and measure uh, uh, toxic substances and electronics so that is, so that's sort of an environmental issue it's sort of something of a governance issue uh because there's regulations around it and it could also be a social issue because you might see you know you could talk about the sort of social effects of, of people getting sick um or something like that or or you know communities being impacted by 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 um uh, toxic materials or, or the effects of, of producing electronics. So, yeah, very very good question. But yeah, we are definitely sort of trying to think of all three. And we do think that there's a lot of overlap.
0: Okay, so that means lots of overlap, right? And the property governments, they need to uh, give a guideline for the company. And wherever they face overlapping, they still need to put the priority for the, each topic. Even overlapping, we still need this one. Number one, number two, number three, you cannot do the same thing at the same time for three different topics. Right?
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense, and you know, we, we really look to follow the market and to follow regulations rather than to lead regulations. So, you know, I think a part of our job is to look at sort of what you know what regulations are out there in different markets, which ones you know sort of make sense to, to which ones are how are they comparable across markets, uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you, Sam. I think that Madhu, you just mentioned three Taiwan listed companies in the semiconductor industry. So probably, can you tell us more about each one? So the next time we re- read this com- company and, uh, and report, we can understand more. So can you, because we short time for the for, you, for, for your presentation. So can you tell us more? a little bit more about the, these three companies, the time you read their report?
2: Sure. Um, so, uh, one thing I do want to mention is the, uh, you know, the uh, UMC and um, Macronix. Um, I was not able to find the English version of it, so my uh, and it's <laughs> uh, ah, okay. Mandarin is, Mandarin is not, very, not very good at all. So, I was not able to analyze it. But what I've done is I did look at TSMC um, and. What I found is that you know they're they're very good at um, creating clear structure around their reporting. Um, they have provided um, contextual information wherever possible, and when they're disclosing the metrics, so in a very clear tabular format, they're able to uh, they have disclosed the information. Um, and one thing I found really good about this is the fact that you know most of the information are contained within the same report um, because that is very important from a digital data aggregation perspective Um, so we highly encourage people uh, companies to provide information uh, in a a consolidated way as much as possible Um, there are situations where some companies will say okay for this metric you know refer to some other document Um, so that becomes a little problematic from a digital perspective because um, that information is contained somewhere else so unless you tag all of that information in a consolidated way you know from a digital strategy perspective it becomes difficult. but with TSMC I think they've made a conscious effort to include um, as much as information as possible uh, within the same document so that was that was very good um, and uh, wherever we've asked for, um, you know, future looking strategy. I think they have um, clearly talked about that strategy, uh, but one thing I didn't find is, you know, Sam mentioned some of the, uh, the more recent issues around supply chain, which is causing uh, additional use of energy in ways that might not be sustainable. So um, the discussion around, you um, you know are you meeting your targets uh, was something that I was not able to find but overall I thought TSMC's reporting was pretty good um, in terms of you know uh, staying true to what the SASB standards are
0: okay okay how about the third company the the MXIC they're Chinese um, version no English
2: yeah I, I couldn't find an English version unfortunately okay. so, yeah
0: okay so we need to improve that maybe next year they get the english version so okay i'll tell them that okay so
2: interestingly so what what i want to point out that is interestingly you know if you are able to um you know you you can choose to use your own language i mean our recommendation or guidance is you have to disclose this to your investor base now you can choose to do so in the most effective way. Um, so if um, the language in being in Chinese is your you know, most effective way to communicate with your investors, that is perfectly fine. Um, but if you think English adds value to that communication with the investor, you could choose to do so. But more importantly, um, if you are tagging this information with XBRL, What then becomes much easier to data aggregate because the the algorithms don't have to worry about language anymore because it's the same tags in different languages, right? So it is very quickly possible to uh, aggregate, um, you know, English or French or uh, Mandarin, whatever it is, it becomes the same process. So that makes it so much more easier for data aggregation perspective. Um, So that's one one thing I want to point out.
3: Taiwan is drafting ways to lift restrictions on cross-trade exchanges after the pandemic has broadened the control. Speaking at a seminar on Friday, Cho Taishan, the head of Taiwan's Mainland Affairs Council, said plans were underway to gradually ease cross-trade controls. He also proposed that authorities on the two sides of the strait communicate over issues of common interest. The remarks came just after President Tsai said she was open to dialogue with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Minister Cho added that although Taiwan has always been open to dialogue, any communication must take place without political preconditions.
4: The Republic of China and the People's Republic of China should not be subordinate it to each other. This is an indisputable
5: effect. At a forum hosted by the Mainland Affairs Council, Mac Minister Chiu Tai san reiterated Taiwan's position on cross strait affairs. He also lodged appeals directly to Beijing.
4: Taiwan is considering a gradual easing of controls on cross strait exchanges after the COVID 19 pandemic abates. We are also proposing that government authorities on the two sides interact and communicate on related matters.
5: Earlier this week in a CNN interview, President Tsai Ing-wen expressed the hope of engaging with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in dialogue.
6: Five years ago, during her inauguration speech, President Tsai raised four principles for managing cross-strait relations, peace, parity, democracy and dialogue. So she had already called for dialogue back then. However, as we all know, China likes to make political frameworks a prerequisite for talks. We have always kept an open attitude. We hope to find a basis and channel for bilateral talks free from political preconditions.
5: Cho called for dialogue amid increasingly tense relations, but whether China is listening remains to be seen.
3: U.S. de facto Ambassador Sandra Otkirk on Friday held her first public press conference since taking office. Otkirk reiterated that the U.S.'s commitment to Taiwan was, quote, rock solid. She also raised concerns over PRC activity in the Taiwan Strait.
5: We continue to have a shared and abiding interest in peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait and we are deeply concerned by ongoing PRC efforts to undermine that stability. We are committed to helping Taiwan maintain its ability to defend itself. In my engagements with them and with officials based here in Taipei, I have stressed that the Department of Commerce's recent request for information is just that, it is a request.
3: Art Kirk emphasized the U.S.'s commitment to Taiwan's self defense. She also addressed concerns over Washington's request for semiconductor supply chain disclosures from TSMC. Art Kirk emphasized to Taiwan media that all disclosures were voluntary. Taiwan officials are rushing to de-escalate tensions with China after President Tsai Ing-wen confirmed for the first time that there's a U.S. military presence in Taiwan. China has strongly reacted to the official confirmation blasting Taiwan and the U.S. for high provocation. On Friday, Taiwan's China affairs minister said Taiwan-U.S. exchanges were not a new development. The defense minister also came out to emphasize that the U.S. military only conducts training in Taiwan and that it hasn't stationed a garrison on the island. I think it's been an open secret for a while that there is some sort of U.S. military training presence here on the island of Taiwan and it's been probably going on for a number of years, but it's never been publicly confirmed. President Tsai Ing-wen is the first Taiwanese leader since at least 1979 to actually confirm the presence of the
6: U.S. military training Taiwanese troops. In a CNN interview aired Thursday, President Tsai Ing-wen confirmed that there were U.S. military forces in Taiwan to train Taiwanese soldiers. On Friday, CNN followed up on the widely watched report. Beijing has reacted strongly to Tsai's confirmation of the U.S. military presence. Its Taiwan Affairs Office, Defense Ministry and Foreign Ministry have each condemned Taiwan, as well as the U.S. for interfering in internal affairs. It said it was resolutely opposed to military ties between Taiwan and the U.S.
4: The U.S.
5: Military exchanges between Taiwan and the US have been going on for more than just the past five years. It's just that over the past five years, those exchanges have been a bit stronger and more frequent. However, these exchanges have basically been just that military exchanges. There's been no stationing of US troops in Taiwan. I think that China is getting overly anxious about this. He They do have some people here. Because there are exchanges and training programs, with the training that happens, they don't just come for a day and leave right away. They live here for a short period of time. Once the training is over, they go back. There are absolutely no U.S. troops stationed here.
6: In response to China's outcry, Taiwan's MAC and Defense Ministry emphasized that the U.S. military presence was limited to training programs and that there were no American troops stationed in Taiwan. Even so, tensions are on the brink of spilling into conflict. According to the U.S.'s Defense News Weekly, satellite imagery shows that since at least October 2020, China has suspended commercial operations at its Shantou Weisha International Airport, which is located 350 kilometers off Tainan. The airport is now reserved for PLA aircraft sent into Taiwan's air defense zone. More than once, satellite camera systems have captured a number of Y-8 anti-submarine warfare planes and J-16 fighter jets parked at the airport. If there were
3: uh, to be some sort of military escalation, President Tsai telling me, though, now is not the time to back down against Beijing, but the time for Taiwan to unite and be resilient and strong. Writing
6: on social media, President Tsai commented on her CNN interview. She said she conveyed to the world that Taiwan's story was one of resilience and that Taiwan would resolutely defend its democratic way of life. She said she believed that Taiwan was a force for good with a
3: crucial role in the world. The CECC reported zero local COVID cases for the fourth day in a row. It also announced Taiwan's first case of the so-called Delta Plus variant, also known as AY42. This is a mutated form of the COVID virus that's believed to be more transmissible than the Delta. Taiwan's first case was a British national in his 50s who was fully vaccinated with Pfizer. Let's hear from the CECC.
6: This is the first such case in Taiwan. After testing, we confirmed that it was the AY42 variant. At present, there is no threat to our communities from this case. The man has also exhibited no symptoms. It is an asymptomatic case.
3: Also on Friday, the CECC says masks no longer need to be worn by television show hosts, reporters or people appearing in live streams. It also said it's planning to lift the ban on religious processions and other religious activities. Geelong will get a new landmark soon. After months of... Of construction a massive bridge-shaped tower will soon be complete officials are now inviting the public to give it a name some frontrunners include hope tower and of course Geelong tower the project will be finished by the end of the year
4: a white monster rises slowly into the air workers are scurrying to get it off the ground The two points of the bridge are in place. All that's left is the connection piece.
5: I think I like the name Jilung Tower because this tower is in Jilong. Using Jilung for the name is simple and straightforward, so everyone knows it's Jilong. What about Hope Tower? It sounds visionary.
4: These locals have watched the tower creep skyward from the ground and had plenty of time to think about what to call it. Jilong City government is holding a naming competition. Any Facebook user can vote for the best or submit their own ideas. Winners will receive this limited edition building block set, a collector's dream. This designer is keen to see the tower's final
6: moniker.
5: It's a bridge between engineering and architecture. I think that naming the tower is a fascinating subject. For example, in London, they have the Tower of London, which has become a global landmark.
1: I'm
5: feeling nervous and afraid to get hurt because when the naming is over, next up is running the thing and linking it up with other engineering projects in Zhongzhen Park.
4: The inspiration for the tower's design is a bridge crane, it's about 50 meters tall. An elevator will take visitors up to the very top of the bridge. You can head towards Zhongzheng Park or enjoy views of Geelong Harbor. Below the tower, a complex of stores and cafes will connect mountain, sea and city, forming a leisure corridor from Zhongzheng Park to Eor Street Commercial District.
5: The project will be complete before the end of the year. We'll curate an exhibition and have a launch ceremony. And we'd love to invite all the people of Jilong to take part in a naming ceremony.
4: Whatever its eventual name, the tower is not just another piece of architecture. Officials hope it will be a monumental piece of art that will bring inspiration to the city and lift residents' eyes
3: to the sky. The Ministry of Labor has finalized a plan to open borders to migrant workers as early as next month. Since Taiwan's COVID outbreak in May, all new migrant workers have been barred from entering the country due to the pandemic. Accordingly, the ministry's plan's priority for entry will be granted to fully vaccinated arrivals. All migrant workers will need to complete a 14-day quarantine and seven days of self-health management. The plan has been submitted to the CECC for approval. Taiwan State Building Party lawmaker Chen bo wei bid farewell to the Legislative Yuan on Friday after losing a recall election a week ago. He spent his last day hosting a press conference to announce the launch of Taiwan Parliamentary Esports Policies Commission. Speaking to reporters on the sidelines, Chen took questions on his legislative term and on the candidates for his replacement.
5: <laughs> Taiwan,加油! Taiwan,加油! It's lawmaker Chen Buwei's last press conference at the legislature. Here to show their support are Legislative Yuan Secretary General Ling Zhijia and lawmakers Tsai Yiyu, Zhuang Rui Xiong, Freddie Lim, and Xu Zhijie. Chen, an esports enthusiast, spent his last day launching a new parliamentary commission dedicated to esports policy.
6: The前阵子, uh, A while back, during that vaccine incident with the national team, I had thought to myself that this sector deserves more attention. Back then I'd spoken about the issue to some of my colleagues at the Legislative UN. The date of the launch had always been set for today. I didn't know that all of this would happen.
5: The lawmaker appeared lighthearted on his final day. On September 27th, Chen made headlines when he insisted on using Hoklo during an interpolation session with the defense minister. Chen said he had later called up the minister.
6: I called him. Basically, I asked if he was okay. Back when he was at the National Security Bureau, I was already on the Foreign and National Defense Committee, and we had shared discussions at the time. I wouldn't say that we are on bad terms." We have two different positions, and we need to make room for cooperation.
5: With Chen ousted, a legislative seat is up for grabs. A favorite for the by-election is seen as former DPP legislator Lin Jingyi. On Friday, Chen was asked for comment on her candidacy.
6: Let's have her confirm first. Once it's confirmed, no matter who it is, whether it's Jingyi or Jian, they'll have my support, 100%. Don't call it my baton. My baton has fallen to the ground. We'll see who picks it up.
5: Chen said that either Lin or Taijung councillor Zhang Jian would have his support. After speaking to press, he packed up his things and headed home to Taijung on a bicycle.
3: Four referendums will go up for a vote on December 18th. One asks about the import of port containing the feed additive ractopamine. The others are on the protection of an L.G. reef the fate of the fourth nuclear power plant and on whether referendums should be held on the same day as major elections. Ahead of the vote, the DPP has organized a series of public events to brief the people on the issues at stake. On Friday, Premier Su Chen-chang denounced the KMT for turning the referendums into a partisan battle.
6: Released by the DPP, these graphics ask people to vote no in the referendums. On Saturday, a series of policy briefings will begin with an event in Taoyuan. The premier and his ministers are scheduled to speak to take the front line in a war billed as a referendum on the cabinet.
5: The DPP should not be so selfishly focused on its party interests that it mounts a blanket opposition to the referendums. <laughs> When it comes to the public policy aspect of the referendums, Eric Chu is in an untenable position. So he's turned the referendums into a political struggle. This is a very bad precedent to set for our referendums. It's a negative example.
6: The premier defended a 4% public servant wage hike authorized Thursday by the executive UN. The raise was blasted by the KMT, which accused the cabinet of trying to sway referendum votes.
5: Got them. The wage adjustment for service members, civil servants, and teachers is a form of recognition of their efforts. If the KMT opposes that, it should say so directly.
6: With the referendum shaping up to be a partisan showdown, the KMT and the DPP are mobilizing for a hard fight. The DPP has earmarked 58 million NT for its election campaign. According to internal sources, party members are entitled to 25,000 NT for the purchase of hanging campaign banners. They can get 5,000 NT for digital signage. Members who hold public briefings can get subsidies based on the number of participants. Subsidies are also available to those who support large-scale events hosted by the party headquarters.
5: Today, the DPP's coffers are as deep as the nation's. It has allocated more than 50 million NT for its war against public opinion. It's because this is a major campaign. This campaign has to have a budget. I don't think it's necessary to make a big fuss over this. With any activity organized by the DPP, the party draws up a budget for member expenditures.
6: With their party apparatuses at the ready, the KMT and DPP are set for a fiery campaign ahead of the referendums.
3: New Taipei officials are warning the public to do their research before launching an animal release ritual. Releasing animals into the wild as a symbolic act of compassion is a traditional Buddhist ceremony. In some spots in New Taipei, it's a regular occurrence to see people release fish and other aquatic animals into the river. But ecologists and locals all say that lots of these releases do more harm than good. Let's find out how.
6: Four women stand by a riverside. They pull plastic bags from a box, then pour the contents out, attracting curious onlookers. They take it in turns to tip their bags into the river. Gradually, passers by realize the bags contain small, black fish. People call out to them to stop, but they carry on unperturbed.
5: We said to them, you're polluting the environment, and we asked them not to do it. But they said, if you don't let us release these now, we'll take them home and they'll die anyway, so why not let us pour them out here?
6: This scene took place under the bridge at New Taipei's Bitan tourist spot. When the video went online, many commenters said that they had seen it before, people releasing fish into the water in a wrong-headed religious ritual. The fish were cultivated in farms they won't survive when tipped out in the middle of a river like this
5: if you let them go like that they won't be able to adapt to the water the water at bitan is cold it's cold in the river the water in the farm pools is warm they keep them warm they can't adapt if they come out here they'll just die i've seen people release frogs before and clams They tip them out and they all just die there. It's damaging the environment. We have security guards at the scenic area. We will ask the guards to increase their patrols and if they discover anything, to caution those involved and report it to the Animal Protection Office.
6: The new Taipei Animal Protection Office advises the public to do their homework carefully before embarking on an animal release project. A wrong headed release can cause harm to local ecology and incur fines of between 30,000 and 150,000 NT. Compassion is only real when backed up with wisdom, the office says.
3: Well, it's showtime. This fall, Taiwanese opera troupe Minghua Yuan returns to the National Theater with the classic Han Xiangzi. The much loved opera will be performed by a stellar cast featuring not only one of the greats of Taiwanese opera, Sun Cui Feng, but also her own daughter, ushering in a new generation of opera performers.
5: Veteran sheng singer Sun Cui Feng plays the love-addled immortal Han Xiangzi. Now the classic show returns to the National Theatre for the first time in 17 years. Sun's daughter, Chen Chaoxian, was in the audience in 2004. Now she's on the production team and even appears on stage.
6: The design and production team is really special. There are people in their 20s, late 20s, and the oldest is my dad, who's in his 60s. Everyone has different values and different aesthetics. So each production meeting or design meeting is like a Maoist struggle session.
5: Chen is the third-generation Huayuan member. She grew up with the troupe. Although the script hasn't changed since the old days, the set design and concepts behind the production are reimagined.
6: I just saw myself as a farmer going to sow seeds. Whether the kids will one day come and work together with us on the stage, I don't know. But I believe they'll be touched if we get up and get it started. They're in contact with the beauty and the joy of this opera, and they get closer to us. Even if they don't end up on stage, they'll definitely be in the audience watching.
5: Seasoned fans of Gezaishi Opera will be raring to get back to the theater, and for younger audiences, this could be the first chance to see a great classic of the canon.
3: With Halloween right around the corner, hotels and fast food chains in Taiwan have launched creative Halloween-themed meal packages. Our very own Stephanie Yang shows us what's cooking.
5: Not sure where to spend Halloween? Taiwan hotels have launched room and meal packages. Let's take a look at what this hotel has to offer. This hotel has launched a room and meal package. There's ribeye steak, abalone and bread shaped like grapes, witches' fingers and spiders. For dessert, there are cakes and macaroons in the shape of ghosts, pumpkins and brains. The room has also been decorated to exude a Halloween atmosphere. I think this package for two is worth the money. All the decorations are beautiful and exquisite. The atmosphere is very Halloween, so I decided to come here to eat. We've launched a two-person meal package, which comes with accommodation. Guests can enjoy the Taipei 101 night view and a Halloween dinner. We threw in some witches, grave elements, and some premium surf and turf ingredients to make this Halloween meal. One fast food chain has launched a limited fried chicken and bacon waffle burger, available from October 19th till November 1st. <laughs> Meanwhile, another hotel has unveiled a Halloween menu that includes pizza, pasta, and burgers with a Halloween twist. From Austin News, Stephanie Yang, Lu Botong in Taipei.